Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi there, I'm Don Payne, your host for Engage 360. We're glad you're with us again. This week, we're going to be talking about a concept that really pertains to every Christian, though we don't always use the same vocabulary for it. Um, maybe a, another way of leading into that is that we, uh, within the body of Christ at large, we all develop our intramural verbiage, our vocabulary. Some of it is like family language, code language, shorthand uh, for important concepts so that we don't have to constantly explain everything. That's very understandable. But one of these concepts that floats around a lot is the concept of calling. Um, a more recent word that has gained some traction on that is the word vocation. And it seems that that is a, is a constant theme of interest for uh, Christians, particularly those who are making significant life decisions, um, directional decisions. And that, uh, that conversation needs some attention. So I'm really delighted to be joined this week by two of my esteemed colleagues, Professor Dan Steiner, who is Assistant Lecturer in the Training and Mentoring uh, Department. Uh, Dan is, I think, the first podcast guest to reappear. Oh, wow. This is your second appearance. So I'm not going to take the time to reintroduce you uh, since you're on a previous episode. People can go back, which I know they will, and get your bio. Yes. Yes, clearly they it's, will. It's so important. Yeah, it is. It is deeply important. Uh, anyway, Dan Steiner is here, a good friend, good colleague, and uh, has done and continues to do a lot of work in this area. And then um, our esteemed colleague, Dr. Bill Klein, who is professor of New Testament here at Denver Seminary. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, Bill joined the faculty of Denver Seminary in 1978, so he is now the longest standing uh, full-time faculty member uh, on our campus. Correct. And many uh, of you listening, if you are uh, an alum of Denver Seminary, will probably have studied with Dr. Klein. And if you are like me, who studied under Dr. Klein when he was the junior member of oh, the yes. New Testament yes. faculty. A long time ago, Dan. Uh, it's Don, but that's... This is Dan. This is Dan, and I'm Don. Yeah. <laughs> we both have beards, yeah. so it can be uh, well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're often mistaken for each other. Uh, doc, some of you will remember Dr. Klein when he was the junior member of the New Testament faculty, and... Uh, had that signature handlebar mustache right, that right. was yes, yes. was legend. There were I think there were <laughs> students who genuflected at your mustache. I hope so. In those days, I hope so. <laughs> uh, he now has a much more uh, more more finely groomed and mature uh, beard, uh, but is still is going away teach uh, at the New Testament discipline, and right. we're just grateful to have benefited from his work for all these years. Thanks, Don. Um, let me kind of get into this uh, by way of maybe what the common struggles or questions are that you encounter from, from people, particularly students, but not only students, when it comes to the theme of call, calling, vocation. Kind of set the stage for us. Frame this conversation. They're, they're pointing at each other. Nobody wants to speak. <laughs> Bill, I'll let you well, start. I think as you uh, pointed out at the beginning, Don, this this word gets uh, bandied about uh, so often, and uh, the result is that 
some people feel like uh, they have to have a sense of calling, which they can point to in some concrete terms. And, and we hear clearly that some people claim they do. Whereas other people who are faithful Christians, uh, who may very, be very eager to serve God in various capacities, feel like they haven't experienced that sense of call. And so they're perplexed, and perhaps they uh, feel like, well, maybe they haven't been called to ministry, and maybe they're just waiting around, and, and maybe it never happens, and uh, they're wondering why it is that some people do and other people don't. And, and this results in a, in a lot of confusion. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that, there's uh, an underlying motivation to want to be faithful in the activities of life. I think that's, as we you know, launch into this conversation, I think we've got to remember, um, even if we're, we're finding gaps and poking at certain uh, aspects of the way in which this term is used, I think underlying all of this is a motivation towards Christian faithfulness. Right. Uh, God's people want to be faithful in what it is that is before them in life. And so uh, this calling term um, has deep significance and meaning. It's not just a randomly pulled word out of a hat. Um, it, there is a, 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 a biblical account of calling. There's a historical account of how God's people have used this term and this idea of calling or vocation throughout the centuries. Um, but I think what Bill touches on is uh, and needs to be explored and reflected on more is that varied experience that people have. Are there certain sorts of experience that are normative or authoritative and others aren't? And so if you haven't had those experiences, are you lesser of a Christian? Do you have lesser valued tasks to partake in that relate to Christian faithfulness? Um, I think these are some of the, the realities that are bubbling to the surface now as this conversation around calling has been had for, for quite a while. Yeah, for quite a while it has. And you you really answered already uh, one of the questions I was going to pose, which was why does this subject matter? Well, the scriptures say quite a bit about it in various terms. And as I reflect on um, the, the tradition of my own Christian upbringing, um, we talked a lot about the will of God, which is clearly a biblical motif, the will of God. And uh, in again, in my own experience, the will of God pertained to everybody, and there was this prevailing assumption that God had a very particular or a very specifically shaped will that every Christian was to discern and to follow. But the term calling we didn't have the term vocation, but we used the term calling to pertain to a very narrow or unique set of tasks that we would normally call Christian ministry or pastoring, you know, something within right. the realm right. of what was often called Christian work. That was calling, though God had a will for everybody. Now, in different traditions, that you know, the vocabulary is going to shift around a little bit, but it seems like everybody is wrestling with the same kind of themes. Well, it also becomes a term that almost becomes manipulative in, in the use of certain people because uh, I grew up hearing terms like, things like, if God has not called you to stay in the U.S. and serve him here, that means he's calling you to missionary service overseas. And that, that becomes very confusing, but it can, in the hands of what we might say, overly eager missionary recruiters, be a way of saying, well, you do have a calling, 
So get on a boat and, or get on a plane and cross the ocean and, and serve God where he has clearly now called you because you don't have a burning bush experience that he wants you to plant a church in this country or do something in ministry in this, in this land. Yeah, Bill, what you bring up is, is what we've talked about regarding the shadow side of calling. Um, often when you hear people's stories and accounts of a calling to ministry or calling to go to a certain place or to partake in a certain task or activity, it's usually around some grand or glorious endeavor. Uh, and, and these are the stories that get shared publicly in church services or, or talked about in, in social circles. But there's a shadow side to this as I've sat with, with many students and even those within the greater Denver metro area around this notion of calling. There are more and more stories that have bubbled to the surface where people share that similar sort of sentiment that, well, my experience hasn't necessarily been as grand and glorious. And what do I do with this now? How do I, how do I respond in light of the fact that it feels like a bait and switch. This calling was supposed to be grand and glorious, and yet things didn't work out. Uh, I had a dysfunctional team that I was working with. I was accused of being immature. I was sent home. So how do I reconcile this this grand, glorious calling that I'm supposed to pursue, and yet everything fell apart? And it's hard for God's people to reconcile those two pieces, and it's left people, many people, wounded uh, and confused and frustrated as to what it means to live faithfully as God's people. Well, the, the confusion comes out in another way, too, as uh, the word calling is popularly used. Uh, I spent four years on the staff of a, a large Baptist church in, uh, in Central California. And uh, when I was uh, resigning from that position to uh, begin Ph.D. studies in, in Aberdeen, uh, I was part of the group of people who uh, helped uh, interview candidates for my replacement. And so I was in a meeting once where we had a candidate in front of us, and we asked and, and, and uh, investigated all kinds of various issues. But at some point, the senior pastor said to the candidate, has God called you to this ministry? Well, if you stop and think about it, there's, there's no possibly good answer to that question. Because if, if the answer is, yes, God has called me, well, then the interview is over, because <laughs> who, who wants to go against yeah, that the, is a conversation the, the will of God? But if the candidate says, no, God has not called me, then the interview's over. Because why are we talking when God has not called mm. you to this ministry? Yeah. And you realize the confusion surrounding the term um, it makes, makes people unable to, to understand just, just what does that mean then? What is, 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 can God call you, but you say, well, I don't want to show up? Or, or it, it's just a matter of... Of, of intense confusion, I think. Okay, so you've, you've set the stage for us pretty well in terms of why this matters and what some of the problems are that, that bedevil people as they're trying to, to follow the Lord faithfully and trying to make faithful decisions, particularly big or what we might think of as significant life-altering course-charting uh, uh, course, uh, course decisions in life. Um, the conversation gets bogged down pretty easily in a lot of ways, even though, as you acknowledged, Bill, there are plenty of anecdotal, there is plenty of anecdotal evidence of people who do have some type of a defining sense of a direction that the Lord wants them to take. And, and particularly when that works out well or there are um, subsequent 
experiences of affirmation of that. Those are the stories we hear about. Right. I think to your point, Dan, we don't. We probably don't tend to hear as much about the stories that don't work out well, mm-hmm. the misfires. Mm-hmm. Those don't get quite the press that the good stories do. Right, right. And, and there are plenty of examples in the Scripture where that very definitive appointment by God uh, to a someone, whether it's uh, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or whether it's uh, Paul or... Jesus' disciples. I mean, there are people that you might say God appoints specifically, but what what often happens is the word call uh, very uh, kind of unreflectively gets applied to those appointments, and then it gets normatized, such that we think, well, that's the standard. Instead of seeing that as descriptive in Scripture, that in some people's mind becomes normative, and therefore, that's what we all have to seek if we're going to serve God faithfully. Okay, as we look at how this vocabulary is is used across perhaps a span of Christian traditions and Christian literature, we can find quite a spectrum all the way from approaches, assumptions that are very particular. I'll go back to the language of God's will, that God's will applies with great specificity to just about everything we do, just about every decision we make, all the way to the other end of a spectrum where there is considered great openness. And I remember a, uh, a very provocative volume that was written in the early 1980s by Gary Friesen called Decision-Making in the Will of God, where we took a very open approach to that. Uh, and yet this conversation never seems fully to get resolved or settled. Um, of course, there's, I suppose, a, a, a big backlog of uh, of momentum uh, in lots of churches, lots of places, lots of traditions that keep perpetuating various assumptions about this. All that to say, the two of you have really undertaken this, and I know, Dan, you're doing uh, a lot of teaching on this in our mentoring program, and uh, Bill, you have uh, recorded some lectures that are used in that, and Bill, you're doing a lot of um, recorded lectures or some recorded lectures that are used in Dan's classes, but the two of you have begun a project recently, kind of a research project, I think hoping uh, perhaps to turn something into a book on this subject. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you want to contribute to this overall conversation, what what or where you want to add clarity to it when so much has been written Mm -hmm. for a pretty long time that still leaves people in the fog. What what are you trying to turn the corner on with this conversation? Well, I think because, and I'll speak first and then let Dan uh, uh, contribute. I think first, because the term is so popular and so currently used, uh, we, we feel like we can serve the church well if we call people and, and that's kind of no pun intended, but we call people back to what does the Bible say about this term? There's a thought. Yeah, there's <laughs> a thought, right. A novel so, idea. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it's not that we can move this uh, concept out of people's heads completely, but our, our, uh, one of our intentions is to try to say, a lot of people have thought about this, as you point out, Don, but are we allowing some popular usages to overshadow what the Bible really calls us to, because we're convinced that if we really understood how the Scriptures use the term calling, it would be both a freeing experience, a liberating experience. It would enable people to exult in in how God has called them rather than 
be a, a kind of a, a fearful or troublesome or a, a almost a, 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 a subject that they just want to put out of their minds because they don't know what to do with it. So, so there's virtue in, in uh, returning to a biblical understanding of calling. Okay. And, Dan. And, and yeah, to, to add to that, the reality is when we look at calling resources that have been written in the last 10 to 20 years, it's not as though they are all biblical, that there isn't any biblical justification or support. But as we look at uh, these varied resources, there are particular ways in which authors and thinkers and pastors support their understanding of calling biblically. Uh, one of those ways is to go back to the narrative texts, as we've already mentioned, in particular selective narrative texts that focus on on characters and individuals who accomplish something great for the Lord. We might call them the heroes of the faith. Uh, in some ways, it, it sounds very much like our culture to want to accomplish something great, to want to go do something grand. So why wouldn't we want to look back at these stories of Abram and Joshua and Jesus and Paul and say, we want to do something great, so let's leverage their story. But what about someone like an Esther or a Ruth or a Rahab? Uh, and their story doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface with our justification, but yet here is an example of individuals who are living faithfully within their own context. That seems to be reflective of how Paul emphasizes calling terminology, that it's not so much what you are doing as much as who you are as the people of God. Paul tells the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called. He's not talking about a specific task or something to accomplish. It's a manner in which we are to live life as God's holy people, which is also reflected in his introduction to 1 Corinthians, telling the Corinthians, reminding them, you are God's called ones who are holy ones. It's, a, it's an identifier um, of who they are as people, not so much what they do. Okay, let, let me turn it back to Bill on that point, because I know, Bill, uh, a good bit of the work you've done has been that sort of constructive or that reconstructive work on what is a, a properly interpreted biblical understanding of the concept of call. Kind of uh, w- walk us through a, a summary of what you're doing in that area. Well, um, I think the, the scriptures, as, as Dan has rightfully pointed out, uh, talk about this uh, a lot, but rarely... Uh, if ever, and I'll maybe open the door a bit, rarely uh, is the concept of calling used in terms of specific jobs or vocations. So if we think about being called to hope, being called to peace, being called to the people of God in terms of uh, a corporate or communal understanding, uh, these are all uh, references to uh, our identity and the identity that we find as being incorporated into Christ's body, the church. And the the calling we have has to be worked out in terms of who we are. And, of course, who we are results in a lot of things that we do. But if you think of it primarily in terms of who you are, then, in fact, the, the richness of the biblical concept of calling can apply to every believer. You can be a ditch digger. You can be someone who... Uh, writes commercials about deodorants for the for the uh, uh, marketers. You can be someone who uh, uh, washes windows, uh, as well as someone like Billy Graham or someone else whom we might hold up as as uh, having a significant role or ministry. Uh, calling, in fact, 
infiltrates every aspect of who we are in Christ. And, and therefore, uh, we feel it's, it's crucial to understand that so that we can uh, challenge and, and equip all Christians to live out their calling, not just find a calling and then I mean, guess it, it may be difficult. And maybe it's like a needle in a haystack, haystack, according to some people. But, but it's not really difficult if you read carefully what the New Testament letters have to say about it. Turn this in the direction of the word vocation. Now, technically speaking, of course, our English word calling is simply an English translation of the Latin word uh, vocare or vocatus, you know, for, uh, for calling. But the word vocation has sort of taken on a life of its own in this conversation, has it not? Yeah, and, and I think that, it's it, not that may not be exactly the same as how the word calling is used. No, and I think that's that's where we have to do some some good historical work to understand how we've gotten to where we're at, uh, and and I think what often what has happened so often is we've used words interchangeably and we assume everybody has the same understanding of what we mean by a word. Um, but the reality is it's kind of like that scene in The Princess Bride where the Vassini uses that term inconceivable over and over and over and over again. And finally, they're standing on the cliffs of insanity and he says it again and Indigo looks at him and says, I do not think that word means what you think it yeah, means. Yeah. And, and as we look at the varied ways in which calling and vocation are used, both in and outside of the church, it's not just the faith, the church, evangelical Christian faith community that is using calling terminology. We are finding this within secular resources that in some ways are adopting our functional theology of calling to describe the types of activities that bring significance and meaning in life. So when somebody says, I have a vocation, they might be referring to their job. Or they might be referring to something that they do as, uh, in terms of manual labor. In our culture, we have um, or have, have had vocational schools. They're not necessarily about Christian work as much as they are just manual labor. So in our culture, in our Christian subculture, there's very ways in which this term is used. But if we go back historically, Martin Luther's kind of the, the, the beginning point of, of the vocation concept coming on the scene. And I won't go through a whole historical survey, but I think in some ways we're, we're having to untangle ourselves from 500 years of, of integration with vocation and job or vocation and work. And that's not necessarily how calling is used within the New Testament. We've conflated these ideas and it's led us to the point where it seems so natural that it rolls off the tip of our tongues. But when you do what Bill is saying is do a deep study in Scripture, we don't find Paul talking about calling in terms of a job, task, or role. So then we have to ask the question, how do we untangle ourselves from these two pieces without minimizing the importance of varied types of work, but at the same time expanding our vision of calling to the whole of life? It's not just about our job. It's not just about a task or a role. It's about the whole of our life because it is our identity. Okay, well, take that then, uh, either one or both of you, and 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 offer for us a, a, a sort of terse, a cryptic, positive definition of what we should mean by these terms. Having you know, assuming some of the untangling work, how should we be using these terms? Do you think? Well, I think if we have a, a biblically informed use of the word calling. Uh, then that leads to freedom. That that opens it up uh, the capacity for each Christian to see their lives in line with 
God's purposes and, and plans for who they should be and how they should uh, function as a member of the body of Christ, no matter what they do, no matter what their job or, or task or function uh, might happen to be, whether it's uh, preaching the gospel in front of a megachurch or whether it's uh, working in some other secular job uh, that gets no acclaim or no uh, no uh, uh, press because it's not viewed as very important. So uh, I, I think that's that's it, it, the, the the robust biblical use of the word actually uh, gives us a lot of uh, uh, stamina and a lot of uh, uh, basis for living life fully as God intended it, rather than always wondering if I'm measuring up to what God has called me to be. And if it is about an identity. I believe that understanding of calling, not just reflected in the scripture, but is also m- greatly needed within our culture that is rapidly changing. Uh, what do you do if your calling is to a particular job and that job goes away? That's actually my own experience. That was my own entry into this conversation. I didn't even realize what I was entering into because my own story was I'm called to be a youth pastor. And I'm not just called to be a youth pastor. I'm called to be a youth pastor at this particular church. And then one day I woke up and I no longer had that job. My entire world fell apart, not because I didn't have a job and didn't know what was next. Fundamentally, I didn't know who I was because my identity had been wrapped up so much in that job in this particular location. And here's something that I've, I've, I've been continuing to wrestle with. And as I have conversation with students about it, I'm finding that it's, it, there's, there's some resonance and in, in some still, it's kind of malleable still trying to, to figure it all, to work it all out. But calling in the scriptures, if, if, if it is such an identity-forming term, because it's about our participation in Christ, we are called to Christ, not called earthward. This is Ray Anderson and what he brings to the conversation, that our calling is to Christ. It's not to something of this world. If that is how calling has been divinely ordained, as God-inspired scripture written for us, the way in which we have leveraged calling and kind of adopted and co-opted it in our own ways has just has been just as identity forming, but we formed our identity around shifting sands and aspects of life that are temporary or can be easily dismantled or taken away. And when that happens, I think that's when it becomes damaging and hurtful and frustrating. As long as you have agency and you can continue working out your quote unquote specific calling, things seem to be going okay. But the moment you lose a job, an industry goes away, a loved one passes away, something, something changes. If our identity is anchored in any of those things that are changing, that's, that's going to lead to frustration and hurt and confusion. But if our identity is anchored in the one whom we are actually called to, that's never going to change. Yeah, and it seems like that uh, the, the particulars of how that gets expressed in the things we do may, uh, to your point, Dan, may change a lot over time or may develop unfold a lot over time. And unless we have a a durable, sustainable sense of what calling or vocation is, uh, it's really at the mercy of the, you know, the winds of the times, the winds of circumstance. Um, I I think what we would hope here is to cultivate uh, a sense of calling, a sense of vocation that would be a, a sort of stable thread, a stable rod through all of life, uh, that would, stabilize those um, those shifting circumstances and mm-hmm. the unpredictable aspects of life. 
Um, but but you have to have a, a very particular theology of calling in order to uh, to have that kind of stability when things may change so unpredictably and perhaps um, uninvitedly. Vocation calling unfolds into and along the contours of you know of our lives as they unfold. I I, I want to ask you a bit about this book project. I know the two of you are in the early stages of a of some research for a book proposal, a book project on this subject. Uh, give us a, a brief overview of what you want to argue, what you want to do in this book. Yeah, Bill's actually already kind of lined out what our thesis statement is, that a biblically and theologically grounded use of uh, the word calling leads to the freedom of God's people in Christ and strengthens the gospel witness of the church in the world. Um, we, we want this to be a very positive forming book as opposed to we're just nitpicking all of the ways in which we, we believe calling terminology is used wrong. Uh, there's an aspect of, of, of recognizing and identifying, here's how calling terminology is used in our popular culture. We need to understand the lay of the land, but we want this to be about helping people find freedom in Christ, because that, going to the book of Galatians, uh, th- there's this freedom that is supposed to be had in Christ because Christ has set us free. Yet people's experience is often more often than not, more more often than we may realize, not freedom. Mm-hmm. And so this is leading towards freedom. That's our okay. hope. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, to trace what we have envisioned for our book, I mean, we want to, we want to set the stage by, by doing some of what we've just done in this uh, podcast and, and kind of see what the landscape is as we uh, look at it and uh, the way it's used popularly. And then we want to uh, focus our attention on the biblical data itself. Uh, or themselves. So uh, what does the Old Testament say? We won't spend a lot of time on that, but we'll, we'll want to uh, focus on the, the New Testament idea, both in terms of the Gospels as well as uh, in the Pauline epistles. And then uh, we want to do a historical study. I mean, it's important for us to set our work in the context of how some seminal thinkers have done this kind of work. Uh, Dan has already met, mentioned Martin Luther and, and Ray Anderson, but, but Bonhoeffer has contributed to this discussion, as have uh, several other important luminaries. So we want to see our work in, in, in a historical tradition. We're not inventing something that nobody has ever seen before. Uh, but then, uh, how does this relate theologically? We've mentioned the, the, the body of Christ, the church. We've mentioned uh, uh, humans uh, themselves, uh, theology of people. Uh, how does this play out in terms of various what we might call systematic theology categories? And, and then, then, then come back, after we've done our kind of research and our thinking about all these things, come back to some of those scenarios at the beginning, uh, like the one I shared earlier about, has God called you to this ministry, or, or how it is used in various ways popularly, and, and do a rethink about well, what it would mean if some of those conversations were had uh, with a biblical understanding of, of calling and how that would change the territory or the, the conversations that we have with each other. And when students come to, to Denver Seminary, for example, and, and wonder what God has called them to, uh, and, and, and we have a, a, a then a, a, an ability and a way of talking with them that will kind of be freeing and enlightening, and we hope set, set the stage for where we think uh, they should go. So uh, I, I think that kind of sets in answer to your question, Don, kind of a how how we proceed, uh, how we perceive this uh, this book uh, probably playing itself out, and maybe ending with some some parting shots, some conclusions, you know, some way that we hope that we can encourage 
uh, the church to, to be more faithful in its use of this kind of language. Great. You know, a lot of uh, the traction we can get on in any conversation in any significant area of life depends upon the kinds of questions we ask. And it seems to me that wh- whenever we get ourselves tangled on this type of topic, uh, it's probably because we've been driven by perhaps some poorly framed questions. We're, we're trying to answer the wrong questions. We're asking the wrong questions. So if you had to reframe this very um, uh, very briefly into the question or the, the kind of question you think people ought to be asking about calling and vocation, what would that be? One of the first questions that comes to my mind is a question that drives uh, our focus on calling and the training and mentoring curriculum, and that is how does calling apply to the whole of life? When we think of calling in terms of a particular job, task, or role, uh, or it's very individualized and it's about my calling, uh, or even uh, when when you hear the rhetoric around uh, go find your calling or discover your calling as though it's hidden somewhere, uh, it's hard for us to understand what it means to live out our lives as called people, the holy called people of God, called in Christ, to Christ, for Christ, in the whole of life. Hmm. So that question of— It kind of suffocates the concept. Yeah, it, it limits, it truncates how we understand calling. And so to ask the question, how does calling relate to the whole of life, forces us beyond those those particular contexts. Not that our calling doesn't apply to those contexts, but we in some ways have to, to lay out a, a broader backdrop of the conversation before we can ever get into the specifics of discerning how am I gifted? Uh, what are my desires? Uh, what are the opportunities that are in front of me? What if I don't want to do this, but I have to do this to pay the bills? How does calling apply to that? Yeah, can I still be called? Can I still be called? That? Or did I right. lose my calling? Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's where it's very freeing. We opened up the, the decision about what job or what vocation, uh, if you have the freedom to choose, mm-hmm. or we open up the, uh, uh, the the vision of someone who does not have freedom to choose to still understand how God's call on their life applies. Definitely. And, and, and we don't want to eliminate calling to just the select few or the heroes of the faith, the, the ones that are lifted out in Scripture uh, or that we hear in church history as, as the examples and the normative ones. So maybe a second question to the how does calling apply to the all of life or to all of life, a follow-up question, maybe even the first question we need to ask is how does our theology of calling apply to all people in all times, in all circumstances? Is the way in which we talk about calling a reflection of human agency for those who have the agency to choose and to determine their own path? And then we might, after the fact, quote-unquote, baptize our endeavors with calling language. The reality is there are many, many people, the majority of the world, that don't have the freedom and flexibility that we might because of our own circumstances. Well, that's a, that's a really good diagnostic to apply to this, Dan, because uh, when we superimpose uh, assumptions about, um, about a, a certain range of choice that we enjoy, and then or we, we superimpose that onto the biblical text, uh, we've automatically constricted the concept to a very, very thin slice of the human population and even a very thin slice of the Christian population historically. Uh, well, I can't wait for your book to come out. So, so get after it. I mean, go to the library okay. now and get right. We are, we are, because we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we need this. Uh, we need this contribution. Thank you both for uh, you. taking time to. Thanks for inviting us to on. do this. This has been a great conversation. Um, this is Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. We hope that you will listen regularly and tell your friends about us. And if you've uh, 
experienced a radical life change through one of these conversations, uh, give us a review or a a rating or something on that uh, so that we can spread the word. We are very grateful for the people who make this happen behind the scenes. Krista Ebert is uh, our faithful soundboard technician. She's on those boards today carrying us through and also want to thank Dusty DeSanto and Rob Foley and Aaron Johnson, Michael Roberts, Maritza Smith, Sean Truman, and Andrea Wayan. These folks make this thing happen, and we're grateful for their service. You can reach us with questions, comments, reflections of any type, anecdotes at podcast at denverseminary.edu, and we hope you'll communicate with us. I'm Don Payne. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to uh, another episode with you next week.